Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's so good to see you guys today and online. Thanks for joining us. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor. I'd love to connect with you. That's why you should go to risedenver.com slash connect. And we're all about connection this season, aren't we? Connect Four. That's our season, what we're calling this season, um, because so so much social isolation, so much loneliness, so many people that have broken relationships or missing people or moved or whatever, that it's time to reconnect or, or to connect for the first time. So if you're here in this church, what we're challenging you guys to do, whether it's your first time or your thousandth, is to connect with four new people connect with four people. That's why you're going to come to the, the water uh, splash bash next week so you can meet people and then hang out with them outside of it. So we've been challenging everybody to connect with four people over the next three months. So who in here over this last week made a connection with somebody? Do we have anybody? We have, see some hands. We got Ezra right here. Okay. We got some, yeah, we got one in the back. Okay. So who, who do you want to, who should we pick? Let's pick Ezra. Ezra. I think okay. Ezra is our winner today. Ezra, can you catch a Frisbee? Okay. You ready? <laughs> There you go. All right. All right. Ezra. Ezra, look what's on the back. Yeah, check on the back what's in there. Yeah, I got a Panero bread gift card. All right. A $25 gift, gift card to Panero Bread. So you can take somebody else on a connection, take your family out, get somebody some sandwiches, okay? Sounds yeah, good. Yeah, we're going to reward our connection. So if over the next three months we're giving away these gift cards somewhere between $10 and $50 every week that we want to encourage you guys to do even more connections. So keep doing your connections and you'll get rewarded maybe. Okay, so you should do that anyways, but that's an extra bonus, right? So we want to encourage everybody to connect for this season, and we are in our series, our third message in our series, Engage, this week as we're talking about what it means to actually connect with each other, to connect with God, connect with one another, and we're talking about how to normalize a better life, because none of us really want what we had before. Only 9% of people are saying, I want what I had pre-pandemic. I want something better. So if you want to normalize a better life, we're talking about some basic habits that you need to have as building blocks for the rest of your life. So last week, the habit we learned was worship weekly, just this basic thing of worshiping weekly. Not only is it something that God tells us to do, but studies have shown, and we looked at some secular studies, have shown that it makes your life so much better. You should go back and listen to that message if you miss it. If you just put that as a regular habit, worshiping weekly, it transforms your life, your marriage, so many things about you. So we're going to learn another one of those habits today that if you do that, if you engage in this practice, it's going to change your life for the better. And it's very simple. It is to serve somewhere. That when you realize your life isn't about you, but it's actually who you can serve and how you can build others up, that when you realize that, it's actually going to transform your life. That's one of the cool things. The more you realize it's about other people, the more your life is better. And that's a cool thing that we see, and we're going to see it in God's Word as he teaches us what we are supposed to do. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today because we're going to talk about this game that we're all involved in. And the reason is, is because a lot of us get the game mixed up. We don't really understand how it works. So who in here watched the Broncos preseason game yesterday? We get some Broncos fans. Yeah, we are undefeated. Woo, yeah. One game in. It's going to be a great year, right? Uh, well, hopefully, we'll pray for them, right? Uh, it, was, it was a great game, and if you guys watched that, I just want you to imagine for a second you're going to attend a game. Not, I think that one was in Minnesota. This game, you're going down to Mile High or whatever they try to call it, at, to go to Mile High Stadium, right? It's always going to be called Mile High. You go to Mile High, you're so excited. You got like front and center seats, 50-yard line, and, and you're there. The game's about to start, and the whole team is out there, all the Broncos. They're, they're cheering. They're pumped up. They're in their huddle, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, they clap and they break, and then all of the players go to the sidelines. They go to the bench, and there's one person left on the field. It's Vic Fangio, the coach. 
You're like, what are you doing? You're, you're just kind of scratching your head. What's going on? Well, the game's about to start, and there is Vic, you know, ready there to receive, you know, the kickoff, and they kick the ball, and, um, you know, he, he's sitting there, and it's a great catch, just awesome, perfect catch. He catches the ball, and he tries to make it down the field, and what happens? Eleven people just, boom, just all diverge right on him and just tackle him. He's, he's done, right? <laughs> and then you're like, what is going on? Why is there only one person on the field? Why is the coach on the field? And the players on the sideline. So, so you're, you're close enough and you yell like, what's going on out there? Drew Locke, what's going on? And they're like, oh yeah, coach is just so much more experienced than the rest of us. He has been studying this game his whole life. He loves it. He watches film all the time. He knows this backwards and forwards so much better than us. We've got some rookies out here that don't know what they're doing. So we're just going to stay on the sideline and we're going to let coach show us how it's done. You, what would you say? What? What's going on? This is crazy. Because even as they get up there for the first snap and Vic is trying to like snap it to himself, he doesn't even get one step back, does he? Before all of the defensive linemen just tackle him. You'd probably fumble the ball, right? What a worthless play to gain, play the game, right? You don't put the coach out on the field, do you? We know that when it comes to sports. And yet for some reason, when it comes to church, a lot of people think, you go get him, Pastor. You go do your job. You, you, you know what you're doing. You've been studying. You know theology. You know the Bible. Why don't you do all this stuff, and, and we'll kind of sit here and watch? See, we get the, the, the positions mixed up. We get the game mixed up when it comes to what we're actually called to do as followers of Jesus. So today we're going to kind of flip the script and actually learn what Jesus teaches us, actually through the Apostle Paul, that we're going to be taught what our positions actually are. That's what we're going to see first. What are the positions when it comes to the church. Second, we're going to learn what the goal is, okay? So we're all playing the same goal because it's, you know, one thing to get a touchdown, but it's no good if you're, you know, out there playing the Field of Dreams this last week. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Anybody watch that game out in Iowa, the baseball game? Field of Dreams. It's pretty cool, but, but it makes no sense to get a touchdown if you're playing baseball. So we got to figure out what the goal of our game is. How do we win? And then the last thing we're going to talk about is why that's so important here in our city in particular, here in Denver, so if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 4. You get your smartphone, you can use the Uversion uh, event. And what we're going to learn first, positions. The first position we have to learn are the coaches. So who are the coaches? Church leaders. The church leaders are actually the coaches. And this is what we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says in verse 11, So Christ himself... Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to what? Equip his people for works of service. It's interesting. So there's all these different roles, but they're all for the purpose of getting his people, Jesus' people, out to serve. And you could translate that word serve as ministry. A lot of people think of, oh, the pastor's the minister. Maybe, they, maybe the head minister but they're not the minister. I don't like being called minister because you guys are the ministers. Did you know that? We are all called to serve if we are followers of Jesus. If you're part of a church, if you're a Christian, you're called to serve. And the job of the pastor, the job of the church leaders is to be the coach, the coaches. And you notice here in this passage, it talks about five different roles. Actually, people debate whether the last two are connected together, whether it's one, but, but whether it's four or five, it doesn't really make a difference. Because what we see here is these lists. There's these different kind of different roles, but it's one position of, of coaches. You know, people are wondering, it's like, hey, it mentions pastors. You know, where's, you know, the apostle on staff here at the church? Okay, it's not so much about the title. 
What it is is different roles that the coaches, these church leaders, play. So the first one, apostles. These are the ones who are sent out. So these are people who are starters, okay? They start things. They start churches. They start movements. They might be missionaries because they're going to start things. That's what apostles do. They're starters. Then it says the prophets. Prophets are speakers. If you've ever gone and you've heard of a great speaker teach, or, or maybe you've gone and you've read a book, okay, that's a lot of the, the great prophecy that we're getting. It's people speaking from God. It's not necessarily like predicting the future, but it's speaking, okay? So we've got starters, we've got speakers, and then there's evangelists, okay? There might be real famous evangelists, people like Billy Graham, who passed away a few years ago, but these are people who... Um, are sharers. They're sharing the good news of Jesus. These people that are very skilled and equipped, you love to invite your friends to their events that an evangelist is speaking because they're, they can talk to people in a way that you never could, right? They have a special gifting, okay? There are people who are sharers, evangelists, but then there's also pastors, pastors like me who are shepherds, okay? That's what the word pastor literally means, a shepherd over sheep, watching them, caring for them, looking after a group of people to shepherd them and care for them, and the last thing is teachers. So some people think that pastor-teacher goes together. I kind of do, and I think that's my role. But, but teachers could just be people who are strengthening up others through God's word. They're, they're teaching from the Bible. So they're Bible study teachers, you know, that kind of thing. So there's all these different, you know, sub-positions, right? But there's one position that kind of is all of them. All these church leaders are the coaches. And if you see whether there's four or five of these positions, they all have the same position, Right? Five different roles, one position. And what is it? To equip Jesus' people for works of service. They're the coaches to put you in the game, to equip you, to train you, to get you ready so that you can do the ministry you are called to do, to serve somewhere. So th this is such an important thing for us to understand. Because what happens is when Christians don't understand this, they become one of two things. One, they become consumers. You go to the church and you're like, ooh, great message. You know, ooh, I didn't like that message today. I'm going to send an email, right? Okay, um, or you're like, ooh, that, that church had great coffee. I want to go there. I'll be back, okay? Music, ooh, loved it, right? Ooh, not, not so much. They didn't play my song um, this week, right? We become consumers when we go to church. That, that can happen if, if you think my job is to be the fan, right? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll cheer, I'll encourage, but, but then it's like that game where the coach is playing and the players are on the sideline doesn't make any sense. And, and then you see the coach losing again and again and again. It's not going to work, right? And, and no wonder why people are seeing churches struggle and die. I saw one study, and I'm, I'm praying to God that it's not right, but there's one estimate that over the next several years that we are expected to see, on average, one million people walk away from the faith in our country. We're losing ground, and people are wondering why, and they're sitting back and they're thinking, mm, that church has more comfortable seats. I think I'll go there. See, when you're a consumer, your team is going to lose and you're going to be disappointed. That's what's going to happen. When you're a consumer, because you're not getting the same thing every week, okay, I like that message, that one was kind of offensive to me, I don't know, right? And if you're just the consumer mindset, you're going to be disappointed again and again and again. Or you're going to want more. That's what we do as consumers. <laughs> you know, good is never enough. There's got to be better. There's got to be better. And there's another church over town, on the other side of town, that's doing it better. Or you watch online, man, it's hard in the, this, this digital day and age because you can listen to the best preachers in the world from the comfort of your home, right? From the comfort of the John. You can sit there, watch the greatest preacher you've ever heard, and you're like, oh, this guy's good. I wish my preacher could preach like that, right? That's what we do. And that's the second thing. So you can become a consumer and be disappointed, or you can become a critic and become cynical. 
Critics are always seeing the flaws, and guess what? There's flaws. I can tell you some of the flaws in our church. I know them better than you guys do. <laughs> you see all the flaws. Why isn't this happening? My, my church back home used to have this ministry. Why don't we have that ministry here? Churches never talk about this. They always talk about that, right? You become a critic, finding all the flaws and the mistakes. But critics just become cynical, and we are not called to be critics. So we, we can't mess this up. We, we can't mess this up. We don't, aren't supposed to be consumers. We're not supposed to be critics. That's the thing. For the church, what we're going to learn, the congregation is called to be the players. That's the second position. So if the church leaders are the coaches, the players are the congregation. Got that? You guys are the players. You guys are in the field. You guys are in the game. You're in the arena. Okay? People are, we're cheering for you. I'm, I'm trying to coach you. I'm trying to equip you guys because you are, as the congregation, the players on the field. Um, see with me um, here in, in verse 11, I'm going to read it again. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built, built up. For works of service. And that word service does mean ministry. I, I think it's so interesting. So, so you guys are the ministry ministers. You guys are the ones who are supposed to serve. My job is to just equip you and get you ready. That word equip can mean like, hey, I'm going to give you the tools or the weapons you need you know, to fight, you know, the tools you need for the job. It can mean training, building up, but it can also mean restoring. I, I think this is so interesting. It's restoring something to way, the way it was meant to be, whether it's mending something or, or fixing something that was broken. So what, what this is kind of saying is like, my job as a coach is to get you ready to what, for what God made you to be originally. It's almost taking that old, beat-up, rusty 1969 Chevelle. And we're going to, you know, we're going to buff that thing out. We're going to put in the engine, make sure it's all roaring and humming so that we can make it roadworthy, okay? We don't just want to scrap a metal in the garage. We want to use it for what it was meant to be, right? You want to hear the roar of that engine. See, I, I think my job as a coach is to get you guys, God created you for something. Something important, something special. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that you are God's workmanship, his uh, masterpiece. And, and we're just uncovering that and, and restoring it to be what it was meant to be, and it's found in serving somewhere. So, so I said we don't want to be consumers. We don't want to be critics. We want to be the players because the critics don't count, okay? Critics can talk, okay? Everybody's a critic now on Facebook, on Twitter, on Snapchat. Like, everybody wants to be the analyst. Who, who in here was, like, the armchair analyst or the, the, the Monday morning quarterback from yesterday, right? Uh, from the game, and you're like, ugh, Drew Locke. How did we get stuck with these two guys? Why didn't they trade for Aaron Rodgers? Who's saying that, right? You with me? Vic Fangio. Why do we still have him around? Right? We're the critics because we know football way better than they do. They're the professionals have been doing it for years, but we know the sport better than they do, Right? even though we like dropped the ball every time we got it in high school, right? Okay, that, that's beside the point. We know what we're talking about. I've played enough Madden. I can do those plays, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. See, the critics don't count. It's the players that matter, okay? It's the players that matter. One of my favorite quotes from, comes from Teddy Roosevelt's speech. A lot of you guys know that this quote. He said that it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Oh, I love that. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. 
so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Doesn't that get you pumped up? Who wants to be a critic? Who wants to be a consumer? I want to be in the arena. And that is what Jesus has set us apart for. That's what it said. Jesus gave us these roles, these positions. He wants us sometimes to fail, it feels like, sometimes to have dust and sweat and blood on our face as we're trying to do these things. But that's our role. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a player in the game, not a critic, not a consumer. So it's time to figure out what God created us to do. God has created each one of us. If we are a follower of Jesus, he's given us his Holy Spirit, which enables us to have gifts. One cool thing about this passage, it says that Jesus, now in heaven, seated at the throne after the ascension, gives gifts from there. So he's working still. He's on his throne, seeing you, giving you gifts. And he's created you for something special. So what we have to do is figure out what our gifts are, figure out where our talents are, figure out where the needs are around us and what we're passionate about. And when we put those things together, something powerful happens as we serve. And as we serve somewhere, it's something powerful that happens in us. This is one of the greatest things, right? It's not just about the people we serve, but we are the ones who benefit the most. I really feel that way because it helps us. One of the things that whenever I've talked with people who are really struggling lowly in depression, and it's not the only thing that's the problem, but what I often do is I ask them like, so where are you serving? It's one of the questions I ask. And they're like, oh, I just am not healthy for it right now. I'm, you know, I just need to get, get in a good place first in my mind mentally and, and figure things out before I do it. But it's the exact opposite. It's when we actually serve people and we realize, hey, I'm probably never going to figure it all out. Okay, we all got issues, right? And I'm not trying to downplay any of those mental health issues. They're real. But, but it's saying, okay, in spite of that, I'm going to serve. In spite of that, uh, in spite of that I'm going to help other people. Uh, and when we do that and realize, hey, I'm going to serve in, in these different ways, it actually helps us find meaning in our own life. This is a, a really cool thing. There was another study, and this is, once again, a secular study, that tracked 7,000 people. 7,000 people, and they tracked these people. They were in their 50s and 60s over a long period of time, and they asked them all sorts of questions. And one of the in, most interesting things from this study was they found that the people who said, I have a strong purpose in life, I have a strong purpose, versus the people who said, I don't know what my purpose is. Those people who said, I don't know what my purpose is, I don't have a strong purpose in life, were twice as likely to die over a five-year span. A lot of it was like heart issues. Like, why is that? Well, there's something when you realize I'm created for a purpose, I'm supposed to serve in different ways, I'm supposed to do ministry, whatever it is, we all have ministry, that we actually have a reason to live. We have a purpose in our own life. This is one of the most fascinating things that, that we see um, from Viktor Frankl. I loved his book, The Man, Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist who was a Jew, so he was arrested in prison, uh, thrown in the concentration camps during World War II. And he had this whole theory about therapy. He calls it logotherapy, logo um, which is about meaning, okay? And then he got to test it there in the concentration camps. And while he was there, he had this theory, and, and, and it actually was proved out. What he found was that people, some people were strong, and, and even if they died, they would have their head hanging high, and then others would, would despair and, and lead themselves either to kill themselves or just die from despair. And he's like, well, what's the difference? And it's the people that have a meaning to their life. So he talks in particular about two guys in his book. He said there was one man who was really despairing, really hopeless, and he was struggling. 
didn't look like he would make it. So he talked with him and, and, and just tried to get, find out from his life, what's going on in your life? And he found out that this man had a young son who was out of the camps, waiting and hoping that his dad would be released at some point. And this man came to realize through this therapy, like, actually, I have a purpose because that son needs a father and I'm gonna be the best father he could ever have. No one else could take my place. He needs a father. So then he had a purpose to live. And he speaks about another guy who was a scientist and, and was kind of despairing because all the work that he had done was kind of worthless because he hadn't finished the book he wrote. But that even became the meaning for him because he said, I've got to finish because nobody knows what I know. Nobody studied what I've studied. Nobody can finish my book but me. And that gave him the purpose to push through. What he found again and again, and it was the people that not figured out the meaning of life in general. <laughs> it's the people that figured out what the meaning of their particular life is. What's the purpose? Those are the people who are able to push through and have the strength to keep going. So that's why I want you to find where God is calling you to serve. Where is God calling you to serve? Where is he call, calling you to minister? Because God wants you to be involved in his mission. He's created you for something special like this. And he wants to use you. Um, and, and the coolest thing is, is actually... This is what we're supposed to do in worship. So we talked about last week of worship weekly. Yes, we, we do it weekly, but this is part of our week. I, I want you to see this in Romans 12, 1. Uh, in Romans 12, 1, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, Paul says. I plead with you to give your bodies, give your lives, give your all to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy what? Sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Give your bodies as a sacrifice. Serve others. Find your mission. Find your calling. Find where you can serve. And then burn yourself up doing it, okay? That's your sacrifice to God. Catherine of Siena once said, Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. I think that's true. This is the living sacrifice because... There are other people around us that are living in darkness, that are struggling. They're dealing with their own despair and hopelessness. They don't know Jesus. They need light to shine into the darkness. And we are the ones who are called out to do that. So we've learned today, we've gotten the positions mixed up, haven't we? <laughs> the church leaders, the pastors, the elders, staff here on church, we're the coaches. We're coaching you for your position to be the players on the field, in the arena, marred with dust and blood and sweat, right? And then what's the goal? So that's going to be the important thing. So why are we doing all of this? Because there's one overarching mission, and it comes from Jesus, and it is building up the church. I mean this. This is what Jesus tells us. The reason why we have all these gifts is to build up the church. You might have individual purposes, but it all is subsumed under the grand purpose of his church. By church here, yes, we mean universal church, big capital C church, but the universal church is only found in the local churches that make up that bigger church, okay? So if you're here and you're like, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you're not a part of a church, become a part of a church. If you don't like me, go to some other church, okay? Find somewhere else where you can serve and, and burn yourself up, okay? I don't care. But there's no Lone Ranger Christians. You're only part of local churches, okay? That's my little rant for the day, okay? Actually, I might have some more. Sorry, Bob. But our goal is to build up the church because the church is where hope is found in Jesus Christ. He has chosen us. Jesus could come back at any moment, but he has chosen not to. He has chosen and said to call a people that are his own, equip them, 
Give them gifts to serve others and to spread the name of Jesus and shine light into the darkness. He's chosen us to accomplish his great mission. He's waiting for us to step out and serve and love and give. And he wants us to build up the church. I want you to see this so clearly in, in, in verses 12 and 13. So we're going to pick up at the second half of verse 12. So it says, so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up, right? Very clearly. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What Jesus is saying here, through Paul, because it said Christ gave this, Paul is uh, writing it out. What it says is that we're all having this ministry, we're all supposed to serve somewhere, so that the church may be built up in, in two ways it's saying here, in breadth and in depth. Breadth meaning we've got to build up the church. There's people that aren't part of the church yet, right? Do you guys know anyone who you're like, I would love for them to be a part of the church. I would love for them to be a Christian. They don't know Jesus. Anybody know anybody like that? I think we all do, right? Do you think we have reached the maximum amount of Christians here in Denver or in the United States or in the world? I don't think so either. We all work with them. We all love them. They're in our families. They are not part of the church yet. So we can grow in breadth. That's why we're sending over people like Kenton and Aaron, who I believe are joining us right now from North Africa. They, they messaged me yesterday and said they were going to try to join us. Thank you, guys. We love you. Welcome. They, they just started their, their work there in North Africa. Awesome. So that, that, that we can increase the breadth of the church, right? So churches can be built up there. And we can see more and more people. That, those numbers grow as more and more people come to know Jesus. So it's breadth. But it's also depth here, isn't it? It says that we have to reach full maturity and unity in the faith. Do you think we're fully unified as Christians? You guys can laugh right there. Okay, that's, that's somewhere to laugh, right? There's been more divisiveness over masks and vaccines and Donald Trump and all sorts of craziness over the last year, right? We are not united as Christians. We're not there yet. What about maturity? Do you think we're all mature? You can laugh at that one too, right? Okay, we're not. We do stupid, foolish things. We hurt each other. We, we, we do things and we walk away from the entire church because of you know, two or three people that hurt us. That's what people do. Like The church hurt me. Like No, it's just a handful of people that were awful, right? Okay, we have all these things because we're not fully mature yet, are we? And until we have reached all the people who can be reached with the gospel, breadth, until we have reached full maturity and wisdom and unity in the faith, we have not reached our depth either, have we? So that means the goal isn't finished. We've got work to do, and it's your job to do it. Jesus has called you, has equipped you, has gifted you, has positioned you to serve somewhere. So will you play the game? Or are you going to sit there and be a consumer? Or even worse, a critic? I want to play the game, and I hope you do too. That's why I want to be a coach. <laughs> I, I'm still a player coach. I love playing the game, right? Okay? I, I get to in this game. It's not that I have to stand on the sidelines the whole time. I get to play too. But we're all in this together, guys, and I want to equip you. I want to coach you. I want to restore you to be who God has called you to be. One study found that only 80, I'm sorry, not only, 89% of Christians, churchgoers, 89% say that the church's job is to serve them and their families. 89% of people when surveyed. That means they think, I've got to go to the church with the best coffee, with the best kids program. Oh, my kids are older. The youth ministry, mm, I'm not too sure about it here. Okay, I'm going to go to a different church. They think it's serving them, okay? The church is not to serve you. It's to equip you to serve others. You are the servants. You are the ministers. So let's get this game straightened out, okay? We want to win. We want to win here at Arise Church Denver. 
There's too much ground left to be taken, so I want you to serve. Here in our city, there is a lot of darkness. Studies tell us that nine out of 10 people that we meet here in our city don't go to church anywhere. They're unchurched, nine out of 10. It tells us that there are twice as many dogs in our city as there are Christians. That there are more marijuana dispensaries than there are gospel preaching churches in the city. That's where we live. And I think Northeast Denver is way worse than the rest of the city, right? You guys know it. You work in it. You live in it. There's so many people who are in darkness, and it's the darkness that leads to despair, leads to self-destruction and all those other things, and leads to an eternity away from God. And hell is hot, and eternity is a long time. And those people, nine out of ten, could be on their way to judgment right now. Will we do something about it? There are 350,000 people, unchurched people, who are within a five-mile radius of this church. Some of you commuted way farther than five miles. Just five miles. 350,000 people who don't know the name of Jesus, who haven't called on his name, who aren't saved. We've got work to do, don't we? And we need to shine our light in the darkness, and we need to burn ourselves up by serving where God has called us to, whatever it is. And I want to encourage you to try something, to serve somewhere. Okay, you don't know what your purpose is until you've tried some stuff. Okay, like, nah, that wasn't it. Kids' ministry wasn't it. Okay. <laughs> or I, I, I tried it. I, I love kids. Okay, uh, tech ministry. No, I'm not a computer person. Then you try it, and you're like, oh, this is actually pretty easy. Okay, I, I could do this. Or I don't think I could ever mentor a kid. There's no way I could, I could be a part of Wiz Kids. And then you try it, and you're like, actually, this is kind of fun. This is awesome. These kids get to hear the name of Jesus in their school. How amazing is that? I want to encourage you to try something. Just try something. You'll eventually, and the best thing is you can try it and say that didn't work because then you can move on to something else that God has created you to do, okay? Check it off. Nope, not that thing. So I want to encourage you to serve somewhere. On your seats is a, a, a card that says, put me in, coach. Can everybody say, put me in, coach? <laughs> Good. Put me in, coach, okay? Because it's time to get in the game. Time to get in the game. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be a, a totally mature Christian. The point of serving is to get there. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you don't have to have it all figured out. You could still be struggling yourself, but it's to serve because as we serve, God does something powerfully in our own hearts and in our lives. So I want you to fill this card out. If, if you're already serving somewhere awesome and you love it, you're like, I'm already doing what God called me to do, don't fill this out. But for everybody else, fill this out. Even if you're serving somewhere and you're like, this is not my thing. I'm doing it because you needed a greeter, but I do not want to be a greeter, right? Okay, cool. Try the cafe team. Try kids. Try something else. Try serving with the Denver Rescue Mission. We serve meals three times a month there. That's serving our community. Maybe with our refugee ministry that we've launched this summer to help a local refugee family, to help them prevent them from homelessness. There's amazing ways that we can serve in our life, in our community. Some of you are like, Matt, I give 20 hours a month community service somewhere else. Awesome. Praise God. If you're doing that in the name of Jesus, just let us know. We want to bless you and equip you to do that. That's what you've been called to do. Okay, we as the church go out. So take a moment. Get this card out. If you're online, go to risedenver.com serve or just get your phone out. You know what to do with this thing, right? They're everywhere now. You can't go eat without seeing one of these things, right? We all know what to do with the QR code. Go. You can fill it out online or risedenver.com serve. Fill out this card and then I want you to drop it off. There's boxes on the way out or you can give it to Sawyer Trap, our associate. Give these cards to someone because we want you to serve somewhere. You're the players. I'm the coach. Okay? Time to get in the game. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. So take 20 seconds. Fill it out.
I'll give you time. And right up here, you, you can see this picture. We have Anisha Armstrong. She got baptized last week. This is why she says she serves. She says, I serve because of what God has done in my life, and I want to help others experience that too. God has done something for your life. It's time to serve. Give that to somebody because it's in serving that God does something powerful in us. So I hope that you will find your place to serve. Maybe you've tried something and it hasn't worked out. Try something different. You feel burned out. That means that wasn't your ministry. There's a different ministry. Because God created you for ministry. You've been sitting too long in the stands. It's time to get in the game. To shine a light into the darkness. Did you know that's where we, we, we get the name of our church, Arise Church? We had to change the name last year. <laughs> Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Darkness covers the earth. Great darkness is over the land. But his glory rises above us. We want to shine into the darkness around here. We want to rise and shine so everyone can see the goodness of Jesus who gives hope to the hopeless, who gives meaning to the meaninglessness of life. Jesus is the one who, who calls us, and when we follow him, we find the fullest life, and even better than that, eternal life with him forever in heaven. And we get to tell people about that. We get to be a part of that, transforming this city to have more light, and less darkness. So let's pray. Lord God, we as Christians, we as a church are saying, put me in coach. We want to serve. Show us where we should serve, what, what you've created us to do. And let us find how amazing it is to burn ourselves up with our lives as a sacrifice for you. And I pray that you use us to shine light into the darkness so that people could find true hope, true light, true life in your son, Jesus. Now with eyes closed right now, I know that there are some of you who have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about Jesus. He had angels serving him in heaven. He had everything. But instead of staying, staying as a consumer, he decided to come down, empty himself, lower himself to, to be a human and to serve us. He became a servant, became a slave for our sake obedient even to the point of death because on the cross he served us to forgive us of our sins and then he rose from the dead after he was dead buried for three days and he ascended into heaven where he is right now wanting to give you gifts and empower you to do the ministry he's created you to be so if you want to join his team today is the day okay some of you are like you need to get in the game some of you need to join the team and if you're ready to say yes to Jesus to accept his gift of eternal life, I want you to please repeat this prayer after me. And if you're already a believer, say this prayer too to give courage to someone who needs to say it for the first time. So please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you and serve on your mission. Now, with eyes still closed, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time today, would you slip your hand into the air? Nobody's looking around. Eyes are closed. Slip your hand into the air. 
Praise God. If you're online, go to riseinver.com slash follow and fill out that form. Lord God, we are so grateful that people are, are joining the team and more and more people. Um, Lord God, we, we just want to see this city, this nation, this world reach with the good news. Use us up. Show us our purpose. Help us to serve you wherever it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand together as we sing this song and we praise the name of our, the Lord our God.